Well, thank you very much for joining me, Nahid. Hi, Sheldon. Hope you're doing well. I'm very well, thank you. Um, so without further ado, I'd like to just jump straight into uh, some of the questions that I have for you. Um, firstly, I'd like to ask a few for your personal background. Um, it seems from what I found online, you're uh, quite the financial guru, um, <laughs> as well as a passionate writer. So the first question I have for you is mostly, what were you like as a child? Because I can imagine that some of the traits you have now would have stemmed from early childhood. Yeah, so as a child, I was a naughty kid. Uh, I was a curious kid and a naughty kid as well. So with a slight artistic bent of mind as well, was uh, way too much into reading. Um, but the first book which I read as a child was actually, uh, if you if you remember, there used to be an Andrew Blyton series, uh, which uh, which I read through my school library. So, so we had to uh, go through a couple of stories from there. So uh, that was my first reading experience. And then since then, uh, I have always been an avid reader. So, quick summary of myself from the book: found it fascinating. It's one of the um, the only books that I can honestly say was a comprehensive guide. So it touched on many different things. Um, actually, in the run up to this podcast, I found it very hard to come up with questions for you because in the book you had explained so much and answered so much. Um, I had a few questions when I went into it before I read the book, and. Uh, within the first few chapters you had uh, answered it okay well if you're happy to i jump straight into the book um you have 10 chapters we've selected just five to speak about um so as i said before they're just so uh so dense with information that you could probably spend a whole podcast just on one chapter um these are the ones that we came up with uh the first one's gratitude chapter two um great that it was so early in the book um it really sets the, the tone for the book that gratitude is one of the most important things you can have, regardless of what field or industry you're in, just in life, um, changes the perspective you have. So one of the first questions, you put quite a few definitions of gratitude. What was your best definition? So my definition in simple terms, I have, I think, written a, a, a quite detailed definition after doing a lot of research. But if I were to uh, give, give a simple definition to, to your listener, uh, it would be very simple that be thankful of what you have been given and see what you can contribute to the world so that the world can be thankful to you as well. So it's the reciprocity as well as what you can offer is what gratitude is all about. Be happy that what you have um, is good enough for your story to begin. And then what you make out of it is what gratitude will help you to. Because see, gratitude is very uh, is 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 actually not one skill. It's actually father of a lot of skills, which which I've spoken about in the book. Um, so I have personally experienced that when I'm being thankful to a lot of more people, a um, lot more opportunities come my way, a lot more good worldly advice comes my way, a lot of networking comes my way, just because of being plainly gratitude to having gratitude to my mentors, to my parents, to my wife. Uh, it really helps in terms of growing me as an individual. So that's the reason why I think gratitude is an important uh, aspect of anybody's personality because it really stems you as a person and it gives you uh, so many virtues which you can't even imagine. Um, gratitude, I think, is in short supply <laughs> in today's society. Um, everything is now, I feel, disconnected. When you're online, you aren't really talking to another human or that's how it feels. So when you're in person, it is it's, uh, quite the disconnect between 
how social interactions online happen in the real world as well. During, um, during my time as a construction worker, that's what I'm doing now. In construction, there's not much gratitude for anything. Everyone's there just to do a job, get money and go home. There's no friends, there's nothing, uh, there's no passion <laughs> for most anyway. You meet the occasional person, um, which is just grateful to do what they enjoy. If it's driving trucks or cranes or whatnot. And it's those sort of people that have something about them. Something about uh, just turning up, doing a simple mundane task, but feeling like you have purpose, feeling like you're happy to be there. Um, there's a lot that that aren't. <laughs> so the next question, you spoke deeply about gratitude. Um, you, I taught, uh, I learned quite a lot from it. You also put some of the myths surrounding gratitude, which I hadn't have thought of originally. Uh, but uh, Sheldon, pardon me, just can you repeat that question? It was not very clear. Sure. So you spoke about some of the myths that surround gratitude, which I hadn't thought of previously. Yeah. Yeah, that was something my uh, my childhood friend actually recommended me to add. Uh, because there are, uh, and I'm, I'm really gr grateful that he told me because we are speaking about it today. Gratitude has been misconstrued as a lot of things. It has been construed as if you'll show your vulnerability that your happiness is dependent on someone. That's again a myth. No, it's not. Yes, it's, it's you might show that, but I think if you're being grateful to what you have um, been given from others, I think that's that's something very beautiful you should which you should be cherishing. It might make you feel look like weak, uh, which is also one of the the reason. Uh, it might also uh, it might it is also misconstrued that if you're being too much uh, if you practice gratitude way too much, you might be looking. You might be perceived as a optimistic fool, which uh, which I'm okay with. To be honest, I'm okay if somebody wants to call me that because it shows their maturity that they call me fool. Uh, but I mean, just be thankful to to what I've been received. Um, and and uh, frankly, I have received a lot from the world uh, in terms of not only just from childhood, even when I was writing the book, uh, the amount of support which I got from my from my better half, from my parents, from the community in general was was really really uh, appreciated uh, I, I really uh, cherished those times when i was looking out for a lot of support from people so yeah you can call me optimistic fool but that's fine uh, I'm, I'm i'm gonna still keep doing my own thing um sometimes it is also construed that you know keep the hunger alive uh, if you are gratitude means you can become complacent quite quickly enough which i think is not something which people recommend when you are in high performing jobs or when you are trying to achieve a long trajectory. But I don't believe uh, my feeling is that uh, um, gratitude is something which uh, these are the myths. Uh, gratitude is something which you should practice every day. Be thankful to what you have given, be given every day. And what what and that's that's the example you need to set for your kids, for your community around that, you know, being uh, be, practicing gratitude helps a lot more causes than it destroys or it, uh, it Oh, absolutely. Yeah. Like we said before, gratitude is uh, in short supply. Um, so what are some of the ways that you can show gratitude? You you wrote about quite quite a few. Yeah, I wrote quite a few. Uh, the, the one which I... Uh, so there are two different settings in which you can actually practice gratitude. One is in a personal setting and one is in a corporate team setting, right? So for personal setting, I just, just start with saying simple thank you to people. These thank yous uh, will come back. We, the problem is that we don't say enough thank yous. 
we don't say enough thank yous to our helpers. We don't say enough thank yous to our wives and partners. We don't say thank you enough to our parents. Just you see uh, when you say thank you to your parents and how their eyes light up. It's a million dollar light up to be honest. Um, and when you say when you say thank you, they actually bless you with even more blessings, and and that's that counts a lot to be honest. So tomorrow, if my son turns up and says thank you, dad, I will be really happy then because it validates my effort which I've been putting on to him for a very long sustainable period of time. So I think that's something which we should all do, and that's very simple. The second thing which I generally practice sometimes when I'm really down downtrodden with with a lot of emotions is I try to write what has good happened with me, what good has been bestowed upon me. Just write it on a piece of paper. When once it becomes physical in nature, it drives a lot of motivation and a lot of help to you that you know okay, if this can happen, yes, you will able to be making it. So don't worry about it. Don't don't to, uh, worry too much about it. So that's that's something which is self-validating. I think you should do if you practice that and then when you share it, let's say put it on a fridge or put it on your on your on your um, on your cupboard in, 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 in the bedroom. There would be people coming around and if they read it, they also feel happy about it because they will be featuring in it as well, right? So I think um, that helps in terms of in terms of creating an aura around it. So that's about personal settings. In corporate settings, find a way to uh, genuinely give good jobs. The, the Use the word job. If you use the word good job more, um, and don't use it too much, but uh, use it in an ample amount where it's really a good job. So that uh, it helps the team motivate that they are doing something which is nice. Um, and also uh, motivate people to uh, to use that word with others, so that you know it, it needs to start as a ripple. If it if it, if it is a ripple, then it becomes a, a, a pattern in the team, and that not only boosts the morale of people who are working, it also boosts the morale of the entire floor where people are working. Um, I like like noisy offices because noisy offices are people where you are trying to do something, um, and they are motivated to do something. I I don't like offices which are stunned silence offices. And there could be places where you'll find stunned silences and, and you'll feel like you could even hear a keyboard clicking away, a mouse clicking. I have been in those offices. Uh, but how quickly you can transform those offices into a noisy office where people are motivated doing things, where there's a lot of activity happening. I think that's where, that's where the gratitude comes into the picture. And that's where... Motivation through gratitude comes through the picture in, in the picture. Yeah, that's very interesting how you split it into personal and corporate. Um, they both kind of come from the same uh, root, but are used slightly different. Yeah, so uh, my, my feeling is uh, my feeling is always that I have always felt that a corporate life or an office life or a work life or even uh, a site life like where you are working, they're all somehow from a principalistic point of view connected to your personal life. If you're happy in personal life and happy in personal space, you'll be happy at your workspace as well. And the vice versa. If you're not happy in the workspace, it will definitely impact your personal space as well. You People say that you can you know, keep your personal life and professional life separate. You really can't. You Let's not attempt. There will always be uh, lines in between connected where, um, where personal life and professional lives are connected. Absolutely. Yeah, I, I completely agree with that. Um... 
on the flip side of gratitude, you may have something, one of the barriers that someone might face to gratitude, which would be stress, uh, which is also in your book, chapter six. Stress for me was quite a big, uh, quite a big topic. As I said before, I, I don't think I have a favorite chapter, all of them, <laughs> maybe, is that each one speaks to a different area of your life, but so well in the book. And stress six, uh, chapter six, the biggest part I took away from that chapter was how we understand stress. That is not just good and bad types. Um, what's your definition of stress and how, how can we understand it? My, my definition of stress is again very simple so that you can, everybody can understand and use it. Uh, be it uh, an 8-year-old child, 10-year-old child, a housewife, a working professional, an old person. When there is a difference between an expectation and a reality, that is what causes stress. If your expectations are this high and the reality is this, the difference is is what is stress. Now, this could be good stress, it could be bad stress, both ways. Now, it's up to you how you want to decide uh, where this balance comes into the picture. If you are able to find that balance, you will not have stress. See, we humans are, uh, uh, the, the way I have understood over a period of time is that uh, we humans tend to plan a lot of things for ourselves and uh, we kind of have certain amount of expectations which uh, is uh, hardwired into our brains and when you have those expectations there could be some sort of reality checks like for example there could be a possibility where you might be angry at your brother that he has not done something which you expected him to do or you're angry with, with your partner mm. and you, know, you, you were expecting something from her or him uh, and he has not done it or she has not done it there could be and that will create uh, a, a stress now it's up to you uh, as an individual how much do you want to expect and how much do you want to experience it in reality and that is where the balance comes into the picture yeah that's very interesting because it gives you the power to over stress it's not something that happens to you it's your your opinion to it yeah so stress is something which we take on in a, um, on a voluntary basis how much stress you want to take is up to you it's not up to the situation or surrounding or other people. It's up to you how much you want to get worried or get uh, um, uh, take on uh, take on additional stress on 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 top of your brain. Right, and that's fascinating because uh, when you go through life, you meet a wider range of people. Some can handle stress, a lot of stress. Some prefer to avoid as much as possible. So your lesson here gives the individual the key to handling their own amount of stress. Exactly. That, that's what I have felt and experienced over, over a period of time. You can worry about little things. Uh, you can let them go. Uh, it is up to you. How do you classify those little things? Yeah. And for the people that are in a high stress job like yourself, how could you then use stress uh, as opposed to running away from it? I don't think you can run away from it. I don't think you have an option there uh, that you can you can brush it off under the carpet and deal with it later. That's a different story. But I don't think you can run away. You have to stress as an as, as a guest in your house that you have to deal with. Um, uh, either 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 you feed it or you let him go. Uh, both both are your options. Now, uh, in terms of handling stress. So what I have done in my book, and, and, and that's what I feel, there are two types of stress which you have. One is called EU stress, which is a very good type of stress, which motivates you to do things. Fine. 
and there is something called distress which is uh, a, a bad type of stress which uh, which increases your blood pressure increases your uh, sugar levels and etc now again this comes to the individual uh, how much of good stress and bad stress you want to take like my dad used to say that you know i was i was doing an event which was leading a team of 150 people in school in in college and uh, i spoke to him and he told me i'm very stressed out because i'm leading doing this it's it's you're aiming for something quite high so it's it's a good stress take it as a motivation that you're 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 trying to do something which is um, which could be pushing you to the boundaries uh, not breaking you in while doing it but pushing you through the boundaries but it's a good uh, kind of stress which you're taking on so don't worry about mm-hmm. it don't fret too much about it just keep doing what you're doing and and things will happen uh, just keep pushing uh, through 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 the time now there could be a bad type of stress where somebody is in the hospital and and you stressed about it the person will survive or not like what was happening during covid during covid people were not able to do anything to anyone but they were getting stressed out because their loved ones were in danger and i'm pretty sure that none of none of the people who are left on on planet earth uh, don't have a relative or a distant relative who have not passed or passed away in, in, in during covid i stopped counting after 15 but yeah uh, so and you couldn't do anything you really couldn't do anything to save them protect them because that would be meaning jeopardizing yourself as well so uh, now that's that's a very bad kind of stress to deal with this is the kind of stress which gives you high blood pressure tension uh, and you have to deal with them deal with them by either distracting yourself or doing something constructive about it and not think about it too much but you really have to tide through it uh, through uh, uh, through the whole whole episode and i think that's what pretty much people did uh, during during covid that you are even though you are locked out in, in your homes and you still have access to information of what's happening to your love bugs but then they had a life to lead uh, to protect themselves so people dealt with it you you really can't do anything more about it that's that was a very yeah that was a very distressful time for for human mankind hmm. yeah no definitely and that's that's um just to bring back to the uh, first part you said about how good stress is where you have some tension you have some uh, something to push back on which is beneficial and i think that's one of the definitions of flow state uh when you're in the absolute peak of the experience um time is irrelevant is because you have just enough resistance and stress to your talent level correct correct i think that that's aptly put yeah so for the people that don't necessarily know how to cope with stress how can you recover it especially for those people that have lived maybe past their midlife um getting on now how can you recover from chronic stress uh chronic stress uh, chron- chronic stress is uh, if, if it is chronic i would say seek medical help that's one thing uh but a uh, day to day stress i think i would say uh three three things which i think you should definitely do um, and i'm trying to do that with my son as well that uh develop hobbies which are one uh which touch your spirit and that could be anything it could be reading it could be music it could be um something which is quite internal to do second hobby which you should definitely develop which has something to do with your body uh 
so it could be running it could be running marathons it could be swimming it could be uh, any sport which you want to pick up and the third thing one uh, something which challenges your intellectual level so it could be learning a new language or learning a new programming language for that matter so these three once you have these three in place it will help you to seek comfort and take a distractive mode from your stress and get on to these uh, these hobbies of yours which will help you cope your brain uh, using a completely different brain center of your um, of your of the brain which will help you to cope up with the stress and then when you come back to the same situation like for example if you are facing a lot of work pressure and and it's a negative work pressure because your boss is not a good person uh, or maybe your team is uh, gi- giving you added on pressure because you knew there uh, these are real problems which can happen to anyone in 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 work environment so that's where these hobbies will come into the picture once you have these hobbies you will find enough motivation to go back and fight with the situation because these are literally mental battles which somebody has to fight to get through the through the stress the fourth thing which i generally prescribe a lot of people and and uh, i kind of like it myself is if you have access to nature be around it maybe you can spend time in hyde park or in regent's park or in uh, or on or just cruising around cruising on thames you can do all of that or go to lake district and spend like few days take a break those so these are not something which is new i'm not inventing anything mm. here this is something which yeah. which are in tons of books and blogs that you can go and read but i don't see a lot of people practicing them and if you practice them because i have practiced this myself i have, and when you practice them it really helps you um, to not only fight the situation it also brings on people who are completely a different set of people uh, who you will be experiencing life with so for example i'm doing something uh, after after writing the book i'm doing something in in, in the movie world uh, with, with with some of some of the players now it's a completely different world from finance world now it's a very completely stark difference in between both of them and that's i like the i like the uh, i like the switch on and switch off like i switch off the finance and put on the creative guy and then become the creative guy i kind of like it because uh when you're being creative you are actually uh, using your brain completely differently as compared to you using it in finance so it's quite it's quite fun to be in that kind of a zone but i know everybody can't create that zone so that's the reason why you have need to develop hobbies around it you need to develop something around it if you are not being pragmatic practical about it uh, no one else will be because everybody has their own life to lead so you can't be thinking that you know wife will do that for me or my husband will do that for me no sorry you have to you will have to do that on yeah your own. yeah and i think one thing uh, that speaks to what you said there about covid how lots of people were isolated and i myself got into buying plants as you can see behind me i have quite a few um now i have well over probably 50 plants and i live in a part of the uk that is uh, surrounded by beautiful pine forests and it's interesting yeah, you say yeah. that because my partner she was in london studying she would come down for the weekend from the concrete jungle to an actual jungle <laughs> to an actual forest and she would see such a difference everything's calm people are more friendly um the the one part she didn't like about london was that it was so busy all the time you step outside you've constantly got to go 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 
so coming coming to me on the weekend was like a spa retreat for her and like i say during covid i i know a lot of my friends were getting into houseplants um other forms of uh of meditation type of things as well yeah correct do meditation that that, that actually quite helps uh it calms you down uh, uh personally uh, uh, i do meditate but i find um reading more meditative than anything else so yeah yeah no, that's brilliant and i guess from meditation we can get into spiritual intelligence which is uh the next chapter chapter 7 and the story you said and uh expertly crafted in the book about how you came on the path of spiritual journey do you mind just telling our listeners how you came to it yeah so um, being indian and being spiritual is something which go hand in hand and uh, that's the upbringing i had as well as when i was a kid and i think the story is about my grandfather and he was trying to um, uh, teach me uh, shrimad bhagavad gita now bhagavad gita is a book um, which is a, a very important book in in hinduism it tells you about how you supposed to lead life how are you supposed to solve problems and if you are in a dilemma how do you want to solve your dilemma but when i was when he was making me study it i was only 14 or 15 and at a 14 15 you don't have a lot of life experience i studied with him i did the whole book with him but then i did i don't think i understood a lot uh yeah there are a couple of rules and i don't understand what exactly those rules are but fine i since he uh, motivated me to read and i wanted to read so he uh, he was a very great companion to have for 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 understanding it but when i became like like a 25 27 year old i went back to the same book and i studied it and i found it absolutely timeless and relevant be it any era any eon of of human kind this book will remain relevant uh, be it ai in age of ai or age of industrial revolution or renaissance you pick up any age this book will be equally relevant and that's when that's when uh, i kind of understood and and one thing which i wanted to make very clear to people to your listeners as well that being spiritual and being religious are completely different things they are completely let's not confuse them generally what happens is they confuse people confuse being spiritual and being religious i i know a lot of people who are well educated done with their mbas were done with their uh, graduations and post grad and phd's and they still think that spiritual being spiritual and being uh religious are the same thing but they are not i call myself as being very spiritual person uh but my wife calls herself as a more religious person than spiritual well wow. so what would be the difference for you what was a good category to categorization of religious and spiritual how they differ for me uh, religious uh, uh, when you are religious the word religion comes from when you are being disciplined about a certain amount of uh, uh rituals which uh, are embedded in the iconography and the methodology of a religion so like for example if you take islam you have to read prayers five times a day or you have to observe a 30 day ramadan which is not eating throughout the day uh, eating only at sunrise and sunset uh, if you look at hinduism uh, going to the temple lighting up a candle or a diya putting offering uh, fruits and veg- uh, fruits and flowers so all these are part of the religion that's how you 
offer something or if you pick up Christianity, lighting up a candle in, in a church, that's part of religion. The way you're baptized or the way um, uh, each and every religion have their own way of uh, taking care of the funeral process. So all that are all those are part of religion. When you're being spiritual, it's not that you don't believe in religion. When you're being spiritual, you have a direct connect to, to the supreme power. It's a formless supreme power. And when you're being spiritual, you uh, believe in karma more. You believe in what goes around, comes around more. You believe, uh, uh, you kind of understand that every, all the energies of this world are linked to each other. If you impact one, the other gets impacted as well. So that's being more on the spiritual. So you're not, you're not, uh, how do I put it? You're not actually uh, confiding in one set of rituals that you're going to follow. You will do what you feel like doing in terms of what's what's right. Uh, what you feel is right at that point in time. I think that's where I'll go uh, I'll go with. You can be spiritual being sitting inside a church and sitting inside a temple, sitting inside a mosque. You can be spiritual all the three places. Um, I can go and be spiritual at any uh, at any place uh, for, for, for that matter. I can be spiritual in and uh, in a national park as well, I can be spiritual in the market as well. Mm. And that's interesting. That's very interesting. The uh, the two different parts of it, because uh, I myself, before I read the book, had the impression that they were the same thing. You had to be religious in order to be spiritual. Um, I remember uh, for my twenty first birthday, I went to Barcelona for one week by myself, and uh, visiting the cathedral there. Now it was packed. So many people. And I can imagine that not many of those people were religious, uh, or if they were, maybe a majority, uh, half at best. So it, it kind of speaks to how people find the difference between religion and the spiritual part of it. This cathedral is massive. Um, and the same sort of thing when you go to a nice art gallery and you look at a piece of work, you can admire it for what it is. You don't have to think, this is portraying a certain Christian values or blah, blah, blah. You, you can appreciate it. Exactly. 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 You can have your own interpretation about it and, and you won't be held responsible for having an interpretation, interpretation about it. As long as it's not very clear. If you've drawn a flower, yes, it's, it's a flower. I know that. But uh, what the flower represents and those kind of... But yeah, I, I completely understand where you're coming from. Um, yeah, so that's the reason why I kind of wanted to bust the myth that being spiritual and being religious are two completely different things. I, I agree. And you spoke about the spiritual intelligence cycle, which I found was quite fascinating. Yeah, so it helped us to, uh, at least me reading it, um, I could kind of use it for success, I could use it for happiness and use it for joy. It was, I think, centered around, or my interpretation of it, it was centered around just becoming aware of the moment, becoming aware that a negative environment doesn't have to be negative for you it's how you take it on it's uh it's your personal opinion of it so i could i could be in a moment at work and it's raining and it's cold um everyone's not in a good mood but if i'm in a for lack of a better word a spiritual mindset i can think well you know the rain is here for the trees makes everything look beautiful the rain helps when I am in the sun. It makes me appreciate it more. It was uh, this kind of holistic approach to, to life. And then you could take that into your personal career, your hobbies, your corporate career, these sort of things. That was my take on it. It's, 
exactly. I, I think you, I think you've just summarized it in a very nice gist that how spiritually being spiritually aware and then understanding the big picture, how do you want to visualize it and then getting getting to execute it yourself. I think that's something which the cycle talks about. And when you're spiritually aware, you understand the bigger picture. You don't see a problem as a problem. You actually see the problem or, or an obstacle as a solution to much bigger things. And that's where that's where the spiritual intelligence comes into the picture. And that is where I would believe. And to be honest, a lot of people are not talking about it. I think spiritual intelligence is something which we should definitely ingrain, not in a, not only just in our schools while we are teaching kids. It should be ingrained in, 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 uh, in various corporations as well. Because if you make spiritually intelligent uh, softwares or applications, that will help humanity to do a lot more things more productively as compared to uh, what they're doing now. Absolutely agree. Yeah. The next big chapter I found was failure. Now, I knew briefly about the Abraham Lincoln uh, story. I didn't quite realize it was that phenomenal, um, how he managed to go through so much, which I personally, I don't know if I could have handled the amount of trials and tribulations he went through. And yet he managed to use that to his advantage. And then you also talk about the Jack Ma story, who is a, a modern day rags to riches. Then suppose you could tell us, because in the book you write so poetically, you could tell us about one of their stories. Okay, so in, regarding Jack Ma's story, I came when I was writing this chapter, I came across uh, one of the Jack Ma's interviews where he talked about the the personal failures he had and how did he use those failures to to move forward, not only in life but also also as a person. Uh, so he uh, failed to get into get into a job with KFC a couple of times. He applied to a couple of universities in, in China and US. He did not get through. Uh, came from a very uh, poor background, financially poor background. And then he got into uh, a teaching college where teachers are being taught for, for education industry. And that's when he went to the US to experience computer as a, as, as, as a product and brought it to China. And that's where the whole Alibaba story starts. The, the the beauty of the story is fine. He did what he had to do and to land up to, to become one of the biggest e-commerce company in the world. Uh, what I picked up from that story was that in spite of uh, so many obstacles he faced uh, during his time, if uh, I were to face those uh, problems, I would have probably... Uh, not being able to push that forward. I think it was his internal motivation to manage his day-to-day -day failures and convert them into energy and then, then take it forward for, you know, like a sales guy. like uh, People who do door-to-door -door sales, uh, first door they knock, maybe they, somebody doesn't buy. Ten doors, nobody has bought anything. You still muster the courage to go to the eleventh door. Uh, that is what I think uh, Jack Ma's story tells you about. After even ten to twelve big amount of failures, he could still go on to become what he became. And that is what I think we could learn from him. Uh, because people say, in retrospect, you can say he did, but when you are actually going through it, 
you can get inspired from such episodes you know if you can't do it i'm not saying you go and build the largest e-commerce company or platform in the world but do something worthwhile uh, with with your failures yeah no absolutely <laughs> it's funny because i remember during lockdown when we all had time to to do whatever we wanted i came across um a you call it uh a environment on youtube that was 100 days of failure and it was this person's journey every day he would go out and just ask for something small uh, he would go to starbucks or a different type of uh, cafe and just ask for 10% off and have no reason to do most of the time they accepted it and it was it got to the stage of quite extreme stuff where he'd go into the busiest street and just lie on the floor and it was that not failure as such but it was the coming to terms with the awkwardness the anxiety that you may face I know for myself in my past there's a lot of stuff I've done or haven't done because of the fear of failure. I I didn't want the embarrassment that could have come with it if it didn't work out. And the Jack Ma story, <clears throat> I knew him from just Alibaba, that was it. And I didn't know any of his uh, trials tribulations, but that story as well as the Abraham Lincoln one you write so poetically um that going through absolute chaos in order to come through and push through it. And like you say, I think uh I think most people have it in them. They just are not allowing themselves to be in that environment to push through. Yeah, because um, because when you have to manage a failure, you're actually putting out putting two things out. One is that you're vulnerable, uh, which people don't like, uh, that uh, world sees them vulnerable. And then said, the second thing is you're putting yourself outside the comfort zone as well. Because you are embarrassed you are actually in outside your comfort zone and that's where that's when that's where humans don't like to operate in uh, which i talked about one more thing which uh, which i don't know if you took notice in the in the book it was um where you can in, increase your attentional span in a way that a comfort zone becomes uh, an uncomfortable zone becomes your comfort zone how 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 uh, you can increase your attentional space so that you can do a lot more with the given amount of space we have in our brains so what what it basically tells you is that in our brain there is a region which uh, deals with day to day tasks so let's say right now we are recording this podcast so we have we are looking at the screen we are talking about uh, questions and we i'm talking about the answers i'm talking about the book and then in parallel there are other activities which are happening in my home that you know uh, the fan is switched on so the brain is processing all of that and our brain has a capacity of doing certain amount of tasks in one go the idea is to increase that space that you can do more with that given amount of space the problem is that given what is happening around us our attentional space has been reduced or has been stolen by people like facebook instagram linkedin all the social media apps smartphones all the distractions on the smart tv all those so it has been occupied with that so you don't have you have very less time to process things and that's where people will become irritable if you see the amount of irritability among people the amount of intolerance among people is increased just because of this it's it's a, it's a mental real estate which is which is taking a hit yes and also in focus i remember we went delve too much into it uh, due to the time but i do remember you talking about multitasking and that that was quite powerful for me to hear because all the time you think oh i can just do three things at a time <laughs> most of the time you can't you can split between it very quickly correct 
you, you switch on and switch off. So the last chapter, one of the most meaningful for myself as well, chapter 10, purpose. Yeah, intentionally, it was the last chapter. Yeah, that's perfect. I think the structure you did, at least for myself, having gratitude at the beginning, purpose at the end, was uh, was very beneficial. And then each other chapter in between that, even the ones we haven't discussed today, they're full of small information that you can use right now, uh, small steps you can, you, can, you can use, as well as gaining a great understanding of that particular chapter. And you use quite a lot of personal stories that help you to really... Um, hammer the hammer the the different chapters home so purpose there was just four questions that i found was very simplistic but very true four questions that everyone should be asking themselves to find their purpose i think uh, the first thing you should which as an adult you should definitely ask yourself is what is your core principle of your life which what is the core principle which on which you will be um, setting your foot on so that that gives you the first direction. Then second uh, question which you should definitely ask is what is character of my life? What kind of character do I want to be uh, leaving my legacy behind? Uh, that's something which you want to... There are people who can have, have both ways. Um, I want to be a good father. Fine. Go. Go be a good father. I want to be a good son. Go. Go be a good son. I want to be a good individual. Good. Uh, that's a very good... Uh, um, a good character to have. On the flip side, we also have, I want to be the biggest mafia in the world. Fine. If that's the purpose, go ahead and do it. And you end up someone like Pablo Escobar. Um, that, <laughs> and then uh, what, what I'm going to contribute. When you answer these questions, uh, personally sitting without, without, uh, without lying to yourself, I think that's when you will find purpose. And if you don't have the answer for these questions, go go look for it. Because these are the questions you will ask uh, when you're lying on your deathbed one day. That what any, any, if you, I don't know how many uh, people you have met who have passed on. I think these are the questions which they generally ponders them the most. What did I contribute? What did I build in the last 80, 70 years which I lived here? Uh, what kind of person was I? They don't remember your presentations and, and your Excel sheets. What they, what they remember yeah. is what kind of person you were. Um, yeah. And then uh, the last question which you want to see is, what am I trying to communicate or as an individual to the world? So these are a couple of questions. If you can answer them uh, precisely as soon as possible in your lifetime, I think you are on to something from from a purpose point of view. And, okay, this is what my purpose is. People who don't have the answers to these, they are either scrambling or they generally are uh, uh, in, in a lot of mental despair. And that despair kind of shows on their faces uh, by, the, by the time they turn 45, 47, 50. And what, I'm, I'm, I, my life is aimless right now. I, I don't have an aim. I don't have a purpose. It's better that you ask these questions early on at the age of 15, 17, 20, so that you can get on to the journey. It's a beautiful journey to me. And be it positive or negative, I'm not going to comment on that. But uh, both the journeys are equally rewarding and, and equally beautiful. Yeah, that's so powerful as well. I find myself, if I've not got a direct journey that I have, a direct path that I've outlined, I, I just find myself pending. 
I just find myself in the loading stage of life, not not going to work, but not really sure why. <laughs> Earning money, but uh, not really sure why. Yeah, so I think that's the question. Uh, if you answer these questions, that see the beauty of this is they they are all what questions. They are not why questions. You just need to answer what questions more than why questions. Because when you answer a what question, they are the answers are generally action oriented answers. What am I doing? Okay, I am eating right now. I'll be working in an hour's time. I'll be taking a call with my friend. When when you answer what questions, they are not why questions, and that, that's how they are intentionally designed. They need to be what questions, not why. And you you can find yourself getting trapped in thinking why? Why did I do this? Why did I do that? You you go back. 10 20 30 years thinking why you get caught in it don't you and in why, in in why questions you can actually fool yourself you will not be honest uh, to yourself if it's a why question and that's where the problem is because when you're not uh, then you're trying to save your face by answering a why question i did that because i had to do it fine <laughs> you can save your face today but uh, uh the life did not have a purpose and that's the reason why i think i when i was writing about it i uh, know they don't they need to be what questions and not why questions mm. yeah i didn't quite draw that distinction when i read the book but now that you've mentioned it is is yeah it's a, a key but subtle yeah see the point is uh, uh, when we are leading your life right uh, you don't have to be an expert on stress management time management or focus or but you still need to have a working understanding of uh, all of these so that you can lead a healthy good purposeful life at the end of the day every each one of us want um, a purposeful life where we are able to make an impact we are able to contribute and we are also able to enjoy that impact um, and you don't have to be a guru on that and the reason why i wrote the way i wrote it was uh, is because of that that's very true That is very true, and if there is one book that everyone should read, it's definitely yours. What school doesn't teach you? Nahid Mohan, thank you very much for joining me. Um, if people want to catch up with what, the work you're doing, uh, where can they find you? They can find me on internet. Uh, my uh, I have a website called nahidmohan.com. Uh, they can definitely catch up with me on that. Uh, there are there are contact info available. They can look me up on uh, on LinkedIn. Uh, my name is unique. There so there is no other Nahid Mohan. so you should be able to find me you can find me on facebook you can find me on instagram as well brilliant well thank you very much nahit thank you man <laughs>